Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, y'all, it's Alante, and you're listening to Black and in Grad School, the podcast that helps women and people of color like you excel in this journey. If you're listening, I believe you are an aspiring or current scholar who wants to successfully navigate this process by sharing my experience while pursuing my PhD and interviewing other black graduate students or early career professionals. It is my hope that you can glean encouragement, advice and strategies that you can apply to your journey. Thanks for listening. Hey y'all, it's Alante back with another episode of Black and in Grad School. And today we have um, another Instagram social media friend that I have had the opportunity and the pleasure of getting to know a little bit. And we're going to talk today about his experience as a student athlete, now a newly minted (laughs) master's degree holder and um also a a father and just really just i think to give us a really great conversation about what it's like to be a black man in grad school especially in this exotic location too so (laughs) hey juan thank you so much for coming on to the show thank you for having me yes absolutely like i was so excited you were open and willing to share your story i think you have a lot to share you know, um, I've been following you and we follow each other for a while now and you've yes. always shown mad love, always just, I always like, you know, follow people's stories. I do, I promise y'all, I stalk a lot of y'all on Instagram <laughs> and you just seemed, you know, very interesting. And so to tell you a little bit more about Trayvon, he just, like I said, finished his master's degree in sports administration where his research focused on the identity, holistic development, and the Black male student athletic experience at PWIs, which I think we're going to jump into today and talk about. He also, um, like I said, he is a former student athlete and now, like I said, done, and he finished his master's at the University of New Mexico. And so, Trayvon, I want to know, what sport did you play? So, ever since I was about four years old, uh, Mom took the time out to lie and, you know, turn in a little false birth certificate for your boy. I've been playing football and running track uh, just throughout my life. Cool, cool, cool. And so did you play – I know you played in undergrad, but tell us, like, did you always have different aspirations to be a football player? Or, like, how did – what happened um, in your journey that led you to graduate school? Whew. So um, growing up, I've always wanted to be a football player. Like I remember when I was six years old at school, somebody, you know, they asked on, you know, sort of, I think it was like a career day or so, uh, who do y'all want to be? And, you know, everybody had their doctor and teacher and, you know, one of my friends, he wanted to be a, um, he wanted to be a bull rider. I thought that was like the craziest thing ever, but it was pretty dope. But I remember them coming to me and I couldn't choose, but, you know, just one. So I was like, you know, I, I either want to be Emmitt Smith who's, uh, you know, famous NFL, you know, running back, uh, played for the Dallas Cowboys, or I wanted to be an astronaut. So (laughs) I was on two opposite ends, you know, and and growing up, 
um, I was just surrounded by, I was surrounded by athletes. I was surrounded by sports. My mother, she ran track at the University of Nebraska. Both of my uncles went to UCLA and played football. And from there, they were drafted into the NFL. Um, my dad, he had a short stint at the University of Oklahoma, from what I was told. You know, everybody just, it, it was just sports surrounding me um, everywhere I went. So I, I really saw that as that was the path that I was supposed to go down. Um, and, you know, sort of my journey, you know, going through high school, you know, I was highly recruited. Unfortunately, you know, sort of my first time that I, I was sort of, you know, you know, encountering um, an alternative was when I actually fractured my tibia and broke my ankle in high school, my senior year, before mm. I was supposed to leave off to uh, University of Southern California and play there. Um, and at the time, I was also a early admit, so I was going to be graduating early from high school. So, you know, at this point, um, all I can think about is, you know, just go to college, you know, you have a start over, you're young, your body will heal, all that good stuff. And then unfortunately, the coach at the time, was going through an investigation so he left USC so they brought in a new person and that new person sort of you know started haggling me regarding x-rays and different things so I was already feeling uncomfortable so I went from you know this is two years of knowing where I was going to go and what I wanted to do I'm right in the backyard in Los Angeles California all the way to you know choosing another school um, and going to Cal Berkeley wow. so you know, I ended up uh, going to Berkeley uh, still as an early grad. So I was 17 years old at the time, a new 17 at the time. And it was just a it was just a whole process. You know, it was crazy because as a student athlete, I went from being at a school where in high school, you know, you're the man, everybody likes you, you know, strictly, you know, people want to get to know you just because you played sports. Yeah. So being at a school like Cal, where, you know, it's it's the best of the best, you know, Nobel Peace Prize winners, like all this stuff, you know, they see you sort of coming in with a California football t-shirt on and they already look at you as like, why are you here? You know, and, or are you going to be the problem, the problem child in this classroom? Are you going to be the clown? Like there's so, there were so many negative stereotypes. I mean, I remember one of my sociology classes, a girl literally said like, you guys don't belong here. You guys don't have, you guys probably didn't have the GPAs and my parents are wasting their tax dollars. And that was, you know, that was my first semester at Cal and I was 17 and I just didn't understand, you know, what was the, the culture shift in the environment. And as my career progressed, you know, I went through more injuries, but I never, I never sat there and steered away from thinking about going to the next level and going to the pros. Um, one thing that was crazy about the whole process was, you know, I went through a, a time of not really knowing who I was. You know, I had a herniated disc in my back. I wasn't playing football. I wasn't really motivated. And I was just trying to figure out like, what do I do with my life? And that semester, I remember actually skipping out on all of my finals and pretty much just sending an email to all my teachers and saying, I'm going home. I'm not taking the final. And this is why it's, it was sort of an emergency for me, but at a young age, I didn't really understand how to communicate that on a professional or on a, on a level to where they can understand. And I ended up failing all of my classes and getting put on academic probation. When was this? This was my, this was like my soft, no, not sophomore year, second semester of freshman year. Okay. I mean, so you're still seven, you're like 17. Yeah. I'm like, I just turned 18. Just was my first football season. You know, a lot of different things were going on. And, you know, I, I luckily I was able to bounce back from that the following semester. 
I really didn't have no choice because I didn't even let my mom know. So that I don't think that would be the best surprise, me just coming back and being like, hey, I'm home. So I bounced back. And then, you know, I had a pretty good, you know, season. And um, I ended up transferring to the University of New Mexico to finish out my undergrad. And from there, I had a I had an elbow surgery my senior year that took me out by the by by game seven of the season. And the healing process on that was about a good eight months before I can even start therapy. So combines, training, all of that stuff really went out the window. But at that point, I really had the mindset, not necessarily of I need to figure something different to do. I always had the passion to write. I loved writing. Uh, I, I received my undergrad and in, in, uh, degree in liberal arts, but I, con- I really had concentration on communication and journalism. And I absolutely loved writing. I loved doing broadcasting, talking about sports. So I didn't necessarily look at that as, oh, this is what I'm going to do. This is a part of me. This is, you know, what I can do. I looked at it more as I don't want anybody to think that I'm just an athlete, so I'm going to prove them wrong. So was it a good thought process? Yes. But the reasons and the intentions behind going towards it, not not good at all. Just to prove people wrong and, you know, a ha ha, you know. I, I told you that I was more than that. Um, so that's what I started when I moved back to California. I started writing for uh, SB Nation and USC Athletics. I started doing, a, I created a podcast and, and you know, it was, it was very fun. Uh, I learned a lot. It, it, it really made me happy. But, you know, I started figuring out there was a, a higher cause for me. And, you know, after 90 articles and 24 podcasts in one season, I just realized like, man, like I like this, but this is just not enough. I need to figure something else out. And that's when I started really figuring out and really starting to understand myself that, you know, throughout the whole journey, community service has always been a part of my life, you know, always trying to help others, especially if I knew that they were in similar situations as myself. And I went to high school coaching and helping those kids and, you know, dropping, doing drop offs, sometimes having to find kids at lunch to bring them back on campus, taking them home, all types of stuff. And, you know, it just eventually progressed into more and more. And as I started to see, you know, I wanted to do something beyond football. Coincidentally, I got a coaching opportunity back here in New Mexico as a graduate assistant. Um, And that's pretty much where I do my master's while I'm also becoming a coach. And um, even then, when I was in in grad school, I remember maybe the first, the second class I had taken, a professor had came up to me and was like, have you ever thought about a PhD program? And I sort of just looked at her and I laughed it off. And I was like, nah, that's not really me. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking out and um, I didn't think much of it at that time. And then once I started, you know, really becoming invested into my job, and starting to see that despite the 15 hours that I work every single day here in this office, a good 11 of them are on a, are in a chair, you know, game planning and stuff. Okay. But I probably get to hang out with the guys for about three hours with the players. And I only probably get to talk to them really about what's going on in their life for maybe 30 to 45 minutes if I'm on the clock. And that to me, you know, sort of made me feel some type of way because I would see these guys that were being called, you know, problem childs, they were putting them on their last chance, you know, they have this issue, they have that issue. But then when I sit down and talk to them, you know, their mom is back home in Texas with stage four cancer. 
you know, things like that. And it really made me feel like, well, what am I really doing? You know, am I allowing that to happen and allowing them to be viewed as a problem child when I know what the direct problem is? Or am I standing up and I'm saying something for them? But in what position as a GA can I do that? And I think, you know, through grad school, I took so many different classes with leadership, ethics, sports psychology, sports sociology, um, coaching, all these different classes. I started noticing that all of my projects that I would ask teachers to do that let me do is to talk about identity, um, holistic development and also um, equality. You know, sort of my my that was my mission. That was that was my direction going to grad school. It was super non-traditional, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I really had in my head like, oh, I'm going to find a job, a coaching job before I even finished uh, this program. So I'm gravy. I'm all good. <laughs> and I remember actually having that job opportunity. And, you know, that's when I found out my son, he, he was expected. And yeah. it was it was a decision making process there. And I remember going into that office and asking them pretty much like, hey, if I have, you know, a child on the way and, you know, we're co-parenting, you know, this job takes me away from physically from being in that physical location. What does it look like for me to go back and see my son when he's born? And I remember the coaches looked at me and was like, well, you know, around the time that your son is going to be born, we're going to be deep into the starting to look into the, you know, the season and things. So we'll allow you, we'll allow you mm. <laughs> to leave, go see your son, you know, be born and everything but we need you back here two days later. Wow. And that for me was like, and mind you, this was a job that was, you know, this was a job going into to like 80,000 plus and coaching. And right now I'm a graduate assistant making only $10,000, $11,000. So I was really, it was, it was so many different factors, but you know, one thing for me, and I didn't have my dad in my life and I was just like, I refuse to be a FaceTime dad. Like, I I can't do that. You know, it's just, I got to be there for my son, especially in those early years and those early ages. Like, I need to be there until I got, until I have something that, you know, I can control. So I turned down the job and I came back to New Mexico and I ended up finishing my master's. And, you know, my baby boy, he just turned two, June 30th. And uh, it's been a, it's been an absolute blessing. Wow, 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 wow. Thank you for just, you really just laid it all out for us, okay? Because we're about to <laughs> and digest a, a lot of different pieces of this. And so the first thing that I, that comes to mind, you know, from the story you were sharing about how you started to write and you had this kind of, you know, talent and interest in broadcasting and writing and, you know, so you did some podcasts and all of this. So it sounds like you took a break after undergrad and you were working full-time for a while yes how long was that a year and a half and I was I when I tell you I was everywhere I was everywhere like if anybody has been to Los Angeles if you've been to Los Angeles you know how crazy traffic is Mm. so I was actually coming from the San Fernando Valley in a small little area called, you know, Pacoima, California. I would have to get to downtown LA to USC around five or six just to make their practice, do the broadcasting, all of that stuff. And then I would do that every other day. And then on the other days, you know, my my Tuesdays and Thursdays and Friday, actually, I will have to I will have to go from Verizon. And then I took this high school coaching job all the way in Duarte, which is an hour 15 away. 
And then after practice, I will make it down to USC to the labs and, you know, just sort of just work on some stuff and critique some things and uh, make some edits. And I probably wouldn't get home back into the valley, which was a 45 minute drive, maybe until about 10 p.m. And have to do this every single day. Yeah, it was. I don't know how my 2000 Dodge Neon survived that. <laughs> oh, wow. <It's> <laughs> I don't know how little Tink Tink survived that drive everywhere. Intense. And so you, one, you were hustling, like not afraid to work hard, which I think is something that we kind of, it doesn't look the way it might look for people from a different background going into graduate school, but right. it showed that you definitely like were not afraid to do this hard work. And through the, this, the writing assignments you were doing and in this, I think, I think you bring up a really, a really amazing point about, um, well, highlighting something, an issue of student athletes not being taken seriously in the classroom. Right. So what was, I, you share a little bit of your own experience in undergrad, but being that you were a GA for the football team, obviously you were still, a, still associated with the sports teams and people would know you had you know probably were a former student athlete how did that affect your experience and your nav you navigating your master's program oh i mean it was it was tough to be quite honest not necessarily from my program but i remember an administrator had saw me on campus and you know, he sees me with a backpack on and everything. And I didn't have anything football on at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was just like, oh, hey, like, it's good seeing you and everything. And he was like, wait, he was like, you're Trayvon Briggs. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you played middle linebacker for us uh, these years. I was like, yeah. And then, like, his next question was, why are you not in the NFL? Mm. I was like, what? And he was just like, well, why aren't you, like, why aren't you not making it? Why didn't you make it professional? Like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, oh, well, you know, I came back for a graduate assistant um, opportunity and I'm in grad school. And he was like, grad school. He was like, wow. He was like, I didn't really know. I didn't really know for you to be a scholar like that. Wow. And that was sort of like my OK moment. Like mm -hmm. it was just like, you know, to be quite honest, I was so angry. But at the same time, it did make me question like, dang, do I even belong? Like, mm -hmm. you know, Usually, usually we always, we always question like, dang, what do people see in us? Especially when it's good things. Like when people tell us we're capable and we're able to do these things, we're always just like, dang, like what, what kind of lens or image do you see me in? Because I need to see that, you know, mm -hmm. but his was, you know, I'm a very, I'm a very laid back person and I'm, I'm usually not somebody that lets words get to me or comments get to me. Like I could really shrug it off, but for some weird reason, you know, I think, you know, my first, this is my first step, um, actually, you know, outside of that football identity around people that actually know me. And now I'm being seen as a scholar, um, or at least attempting to be seen as a scholar and respected as a scholar. Um, it really did make me feel like I, I possibly wasn't capable of doing that because I never saw school in that, in that route. You know, school was always presented to me as a tool to keep the progression and keep the dream alive to go to the NFL. That's always how it's been looked. It's never been, so I've never saw it as plan A1 and plan A2. Um, school was really just, you know, as long as I'm eligible, I could play. 
Right, 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 right. You know, so this is the first time for me where I'm like, well, this is a this is this is a big program. This is a big step. Now you got to switch those priorities up. Now you got to switch some some things up and you got to focus while you're working a job that you do 80 plus hours. You know, I'm going I'm I'm getting out of the office around 7 p.m. the day that I have classes just so I can go to class from, you know, or six. So I can go to class from six to eight thirty and then come back to the office until 10. So me navigating my personal experiences and everything was quite difficult just because I didn't feel like I had many experiences in the classroom. Um, I didn't really make an undergrad. I didn't really make connections. Mm -hmm. So this was my first time. Like, I'll be completely honest with you. Grad school was the first time I ordered my own books. Wow. Okay. Grad school is the first time that I registered for my own classes. And that's not to take a slug at anybody or anything, you know, it was just, you know, you get a text, come get your books on Sunday. Whoa. At this time, they're already picked out for you, packaged, and you move on with your day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you, you, come to, you come to the advisement office, you talk to your, your, your sport advisor. I didn't even know who was my advisor on campus. Whoa. Athletic advisor. And pretty much y'all sit down and it's okay. These are the classes that are going to a work with your schedule for football, but also are going to help you get, you make your progress towards degree. Yeah. yeah. And all I can say is, okay. So that is like, my mind is blown a little bit. Thank you for just kind of sharing that. I think that's new to not new. It's news to me. I say that like, I, I've never looked deeply into the experience, you know, myself. And so just to, just to hear that my mind is like literally blown. And so you really kind of were starting from from ground zero and building up your scholarly, you know, persona, your relationships. You know, you obviously didn't have like an undergraduate research experience, those things. And so tell us like what that ended up looking like. How did you start to make those relationships? Tell us, let's start right there. Tell us how you started to make those relationships when you were in graduate school and and when did you realize that they were important? Okay, so boom. We was in graduate school and I remember this was around the time where I was starting to have that conversation with myself about is is being a football coach really here for me? You know, I want to do more. I want to figure out something. Like I need to figure something out. So I remember in undergrad, I uh, did a, a project on what the blue chip student athlete looks like. The blue chip student athlete in the view that I was explaining was like, this is how the prominent NCAA athlete is portrayed in the media. Okay. So you probably heard of his name, Tim Tebow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Tim Tebow was, you know, quarterback. He was, you know, the savior of Florida. He was, you know, attractive a white man, he was known as smart, a man of God who openly showed his, you know, his love for God through all of his um, interviews, and he was a fierce competitor. Mm-hmm. That was like the blue chip athlete that, that you know, Division One NCAA period wants to portray on everyone. This is the type of athlete we want. This is the type of athlete we need individuals to conform to. Okay. But I noticed also at that time, there was another student athlete in the state of Florida by the name of Myron Roll. Mm. And at that time, uh, Myron Roll, he was a Rhodes Scholar. He was a two-time, you know, Atlantic Conference, Atlantic Coastal Conference uh, Defensive Player of the Year, All-American, all academics. But he was 
a young black man and he, you know, I think he was from like the Caribbean or something like that, but he was being pretty much, you know, chastised because he was choosing school and a, a scholarship to Oxford University to go into med school over football. And this is how dedicated he was. Like, if we want to talk about commitment, he went and received his uh, scholarship and award as the as the Rhodes Scholar recipient winner. What? Got on a private, yeah, got on a private like helicopter or plane, and flew into Florida, Tallahassee, Florida. Got dressed and went to play the second half of his football game. Wow. Wow. And he had all of these recognition, all all of this stuff, and he ended up. Just because his his scouting report literally said, you know, great player, but we we question his um we question his commitment towards football, mm. and he went from a projected second round pick to a free agent. Wow! Because- and now you know he's becoming a doctor and everything. I think he's at Harvard Medical School. But I wrote that essay on that, and it was just crazy to me to see how that was like my first of you know. Uh, politics and media and you know football is just ain't all football it's not all brotherhood like there's still some some you know underlying you know issues that are here and I remember taking that and just remember I I don't know even how I had that project still on on a flash drive but I remember looking at it again and was just like it clicked I was like wow I really want to be you know somebody that speaks up for student athletes I really want to help student athletes understand that you're more than just a, a, a football player. You're more than a basketball player. You're more than a swimmer, whatever that is. And I remember going to our academic success center and um, just throwing the idea to them. And I was like, I really wish there was some type of leadership development program that we can have. Mm-hmm. So I remember throwing the idea out and one of the administrators in there was just like, Hey, you should do the student athlete symposium. It's a quick seven minute spiel. You talk about a subject that you want to talk about, and that's it. And I was like, eh, nah, I don't think I can get out of practice. And they was like, it's at lunch. So I'm like, dang, I really ain't got no excuse. So I accepted it. I went up there. And mind you, I'm still a coach at this time. Okay. So me being the bold person that I'm trying to be at this time, mm-hmm. I go up there and pretty much my seven-minute presentation is on the true meaning of how the word student athlete was created, who created it, mm-hmm. and why has it pretty much why has it been pretty much misused and it's misguided student athletes. Mm. And I'm thinking, you know, seven minutes, I'm gonna get questions, you know, I, I I schooled them on it. Like I was in there throwing, I was in there throwing some heat. Like this is the first time like I'm throwing fastballs, curveballs, all that. Like the dude is in the back, like, oh, you time is up. I'm like, nah, we're going to keep going. Um, you know, and I'm thinking like, okay, well, it just stays here. It's on campus on the student union building. No one's going to find out about this back at the office. Next morning, I have a newspaper on my, on my desk with me on the front page. And my, my topic is highlighted. And some of the stuff that I said was highlighted. Mm-hmm. And that's where around the office, like even some of the, even the African-American coaches in the office was like, I just want you to know that people are looking at you now as the angry black man. Mm. And that was like, it was such an unfortunate deal because no one directly came to me, but I saw how every, everybody besides the black coaches um, was starting to treat me. 
and how they were starting to look at me and how they would make little jokes and how they would, you know, start asking the players like, oh, so what did you and Trayvon talk about when you were in his office? You know, stuff like that. And um, that was like the aha moment. Like, you know, I need to get out of here. I, if, if this is triggering coaches and individuals around athletics like that much, then I'm probably talking about something that, you know, it, 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 it just doesn't hit people that way if it's not true. Right, right. And the fact that I was able to present those stats. So, you know, once I quit, um, like I said, I took another GA position, but I also created the Lobo Leadership uh, Development Academy for our student athletes okay. across the board. So yeah. then, you know, football and other sports still had to work with me because now I have 40 of their student athletes in a room. And, you know, I pretty much, we, we presented to them, you know, what we're talking about. These are the topics and everything. But that was like the first time I started going into the right direction of what I was passionate about and what I truly wanted to do. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, that was like my, that was like my moment right there. Wow. And so when you, when you started your new GA ship and kind of were taking like this direction of, of really, um, standing in and embracing and, and being the scholar that you are, how did you develop new relationships that weren't tied directly to sports? Like, what did that look like for you? So the new, uh, the new GA ship was actually working with the Graduate and Professional Student Association. Okay. And I was the chief of staff. So, you know, I pretty much was thinking in, I was pretty much thinking, like, I don't know much about this stuff, but I'm a hard worker. I'm innovative. And, you know, it was pretty much just like you manage the staff around you. All right, cool, bet. We can do that. Still yeah. getting school paid for. The president at the time was in med school. Okay. So you can only imagine how much we saw of him. Right. <laughs> so I had to very quickly go from, you know, being the note taker in the crowd to actually being, you know, on the e-boards and being on all these different other committees and, and, you know, just taking that position because there was only so many times that they call on GPSA and the president's not present and mm -hmm. nobody's there to speak. Right. Now it's looking like, well, what's the point? Like, who's, who's our voice? And it forced me, you know, when I talk about um, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, like that forced me out of my shell. It became so repetitive. Um, it, came, it got to the point where like, you know, administrators would come up to the table and be like, man, when are we going to just get you a name plate? And that's how much they were seeing me. Like I was everywhere on campus. I was, I did 20 plus orientations. I was on, you know, different bylaws and policies, you know, creating those and the differential tuition. I mean, I covered everything. Um, even when we had students in law school trying to petition to get back into law school, engineers that um, were from different countries and they were being pretty much bullied into working 10 plus hours on Saturdays. Like this wasn't even in their, in their assistantship. They're not even getting paid for these hours yeah. and going out to like, you know, advocate for them. Like I really became somebody that advocated and created so many relationships and so much networking. I mean, Dean of students, student affairs, the president, you know, I welcomed our new president in, you know, I was everywhere and it sort of became this role that I started noticing like, okay, you know, just off the rip, how, how friendly I am, how energetic I am, how welcoming of a person I am. You know, people tend to gravitate towards me. I mean, heck, it got to the point where I was even out there on my lunch breaks playing basketball, pickup games with administrators. And I mean, we running like eight, nine games. Wow. And they'll sit there and be like, hey, you know, 
I was thinking about, you know, you in this, in this, uh, in this conversation, you should really come on to this committee. I think this will be something really good. Like we need somebody's perspective in this area. And even talking about environment, culture development of the campus, you know, just so many of those meetings and just being a constant face that they saw, it enabled me to open up so many different doors across the, just across campus. And that was something that I truly needed, you know, that to be quite honest, they were a lot more supportive of the leadership development program than athletics at first. And so many of the different culture centers. And that was the cool part too. As I learned to network with all of these different people in all these different places, I got to learn so much about what do they do and how they can provide a particular resource, not necessarily for me, but for the, for the ones that I was trying to help. So we got, we were able to get comfortable enough to start talking about my research. And to be honest with you, that -hmm. stuff was like, what helped my skills, my research skills was because I would have to literally break this down to them to like point A. You would have to break your... My research down. down. And, you know, to the, to the administrators, faculty members, the people that I was networking with. Because okay. yeah. they just didn't understand because they weren't in athletics. Yeah. So I used to have to, you know, I'm going to send this snippet of an article. I'm going to put this together. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm starting to notice like, oh, snap, like... I'm actually doing research and putting stuff together. I'm citing stuff like what? Like <laughs> it was just, it just became this whole process that I didn't even notice was, was going on. But at the same time, I wasn't going to stop it. You know, I, I knew I had a purpose. I, I knew I had a vision and I wanted to help anybody that can help me with it, understand it so they can see where I was coming from. Yeah. So that's how that really, you know, happened and all the networking came about. Got it. So it sounds like you, First of all, we're never, you always sounds like you were a strong advocate for yourself. Like you knew the importance of speaking up. And a lot of us work on things that not everyone around us is able, they're able to immediately understand how our work is relevant or where our work fits in like the greater scheme of things. But you mm-hmm. went out of your way and made sure to help make that clear for those you were wanting to know or get to know better and establishing relationships with am i right am i capturing yes most definitely most definitely i i think i think honestly that piece alone is a great piece of advice that we can take about like going through grad school and also like i think that you share another version of the story for us is like how you don't have to have had this like perfect pack like a a undergrad experience that creates a perfect grad school application right you know i know you use like the blue chip athlete when you think about the blue trip graduate student maybe on um on its according to like the little checklist people might not have assumed that you would have made the list but you've created you know an important piece of a space for yourself to speak on something that's really important but doesn't get highlighted but also that you thrived and were able to navigate the graduate school experience without those quote unquote, you know, the, the more traditional qualifications that people would expect for a tri- for going into a graduate program. Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, my, my grad school experience definitely uh, taught me that you don't have to come in, you know, with this certain look or you don't have to come in with this certain, you know, skill. Like the the crazy thing about it, and, you know, I, I'm, I, I tell myself that, you know, as a work in progress every single day, 
you know, Alante, when, when, like, think about when you really introduce yourself to somebody. Mm-hmm. The first thing that you say after you say, I am, I, and I am carries so much weight. Yeah. But after the first thing you say after I am, you know, you, you go straight into what you do as an occupation. Right. Like, I used to be like, <laughs> we have a session in leadership development and I, I, I run that, I run it, I facilitate it and it's called, you know, identity, knowing who you are versus what you do. Yes. Oh my gosh. And it took me some time to realize like, you know, I got to stop saying I am a academic advisor. I am a graduate student. I am a former student athlete or a student athlete. You know, I had to break it down into characteristics like I am a motivator. I am a uh, supporter. I am a mentor. I am a bridge builder. Like, you know, things like that, that really captures the essence of who I am as a person. Because what I started realizing, you know, throughout this journey was the title can forever change. Yeah. The title can forever change. Like I've been, I've been an advocate in, in GPSA. I've been a, a graduate assistant for football. I've been an academic advisor. I've been a writer. I've been in sales at Verizon. In every single job, I can, I can remember a moment where I got to show that either I wanted to uplift somebody or I wanted to be there for them, you know, especially at Verizon. Like I remember so many times somebody's like, they messed up my account and charged me with X, 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 and X. And yeah. so many people would be like, well, dang, it wasn't me. So that's not my problem. But I was like, no, we're going to figure this out because I can care less about these sales. Like y'all doing, you know, y'all doing 76 year old Whitney wrong, bro. Like she came in here for a flip phone. Y'all updated her to an iPhone with a jetpack. Like, what are we doing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it really showed me like, man, I can have so many titles in this world. Like I can be, I can be an agent of change mm-hmm. in so many different positions, but who am I truly like after, like if I become, if I, if I do not have a job today, am I going to sell somebody like, Oh, I'm Trayvon Briggs. I'm, I'm unemployed. Yeah. Is that what's going to come out of my mouth? Or am I going to start talking about who I am as a person? Okay. So why not start, conversations off like that in the first place whether you got a job title or not you know because it's going to change everything is 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 stepping stones you know for the most for most of us especially for for us like we're not we don't usually sit into a job you know more than five six years unless it's something that's truly making us happy and we've gotten to our dream job and even then that's not enough for us. Now we're trying to see other ways and other avenues to help people out. And I think that was like, you know, I'm so passionate about my research and what I do because I'm a part of it, you know, as a former student athlete and as somebody today, you know, even as a father, like there's so many different hats that I have to put on. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I got to wear two at, at the same dang time, but you know, I do understand that my skills, my characteristics who I am truly as a person, it, it spreads through all of those different avenues. And that, that this journey has made me forever thankful for that. I love, I love that. I think, I think that, I think that's so important um, when we're meeting people and when we're talking to people, one, how we, I think, ask people what they do or how they, how they spend their time. Mm-hmm. And then also our response. And I really, 
totally agree with you in the thought of like, we have to really change the way that we're describing ourselves and the, the labels that we give ourselves um, because they can be very limiting. And so, I mean, I feel like you really transitioned us really, really well into my next question. And the fact that you do wear so many hats, you know, as a former student athlete, you know, turned scholar, and also a dad to like y'all i gotta go follow him on instagram like oh my gosh his son is so freaking cute and so how do you how did you you know balance all of that it sounds like you already made like a very serious decision once you knew that you know you you were expecting how does how were you able to manage that and finish your master's program and like what did that end up looking like for you um, so right off the bat, just sacrifices, uh, just making huge sacrifices. Um, luckily, you know, like I said, uh, co-parenting, I've, I've heard all the crazy stories and all the tough times and rough times, but you know, our, our relationship has been able to prog to, you know, make a lot of progression and just blossom into something really beautiful, especially for our son. You know, it really just comes down to sitting down and being like, you know, Hey, I have classes these nights, okay. you know, so how can we make this work? And then, you know, also weekends and stuff. So I have Isaiah three, three of the days out of the week. And, you know, I had my, my usual is the Tuesday, Thursday, and then one of the weekends. Um, I actually got him today. And one of my friends is actually able here to watch him for me with classes and everything. There was plenty of times, like when I was doing the GA job, as you know, those is really like 28, 20 hours that they pay you for. So I will, of course, I was working more than 20 hours, but uh, the days that, you know, he was at his grandmother's house before daycare, he's in daycare now, I've been in daycare for about a year or so. I will go over there to his grandmother's house and I will just watch him for like seven hours, you know, seven, eight hours, just spending that time with him every single day. And then when I started working as an academic advisor, you know, that's where more of the, you know, spending the nights uh, started coming about. And, you know, we have a lot of fun. Like you said on Instagram, like I, I have no problem showing that off. Like me and him have a lot of fun. So once I pick him up from school around 4.30, you know, 6.30, we're eating, 7.30, we're in the bath. And then 8.30, you know, we're starting to wind it down and go to sleep. <laughs> so, you know, once I get him to sleep on my days, it's like I'm back to the lab, you know, I, I, it's crazy because when you're passionate about something or somebody, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. It just feels like, like, you know, it's so just a part of, part of the day. Like, I'm not even going to lie to you. Like sometimes he'll just look at me and be like, night, night. And I'm like, dang, like, it's only, it's only eight, but all right, bet. Like, I guess we'll put you to sleep. Yeah. You know, and I'm thankful for it. Like my, my, my son sleeps through the whole night. So, you know, I can really get a lot of stuff done, especially while I was working on my thesis. Oh my gosh. Like I, as soon as I put him to sleep, lights are off. I got my little light on in the living room and I'm working on my thesis until midnight. And then I jump in bed, wake up at 5.30 just so we can get this back going. So a lot of it was just a lot of communication, just, just as a father, effective communication. And even with my faculty, um, there's been plenty of times where, you know, between faculty and work where my son has came to work with me. Like I'm an, I'm an academic advisor. I work with students. He'll literally be posted in the room, just minding his own, staring at this student. And, you know, crazy enough, it actually makes the, the student a lot more comfortable when they see my kid. Uh -huh. So that's actually pretty dope. But faculty, I've been to plenty of meetings with my, with uh, faculty advisors and my kid. Like they absolutely love him. He's no stranger to any of them. Like, he actually prefers hanging out with them because he knows he gets candy and he can get <laughs> um, But, 
you know, just having everyone on the same page, understanding and, and, you know, despite how many days or nights I'm tired, it's just about knowing that I have a particular goal in mind and I got to go for it. So, yeah. That's awesome though. And I, I mean, I want to, you know, definitely applaud you. I know even people who are with their, the mother of their children, you know, really lean on the mother and when they're like men lean, lean on their mother, their, their partner, when they are dissertating, writing a thesis, you know, heavily you know, in graduate school. And so right. really just taking that time and making the effort to be a present parent and an active parent um, in your child's life while you're getting your master's is like awesome. Thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And so um, is there any like last piece of advice that you want to share with um, us that maybe I didn't ask you and just to kind of end our, our talk today? Yeah, um, you know, the last piece of advice that I really want to give to everybody. And once again, thank you for having me on. Um, but most importantly, just anybody that listens um, is, is, is going to be good. Like, it's, it's going to be all right. Like, I know sometimes the process, um, the even, even today could seem rough as you're listening to this podcast and you're just like, dang, like, what is going on? But I'm, I'm here to tell you, like, you know, just stick to the process. Stick to the process and let your process do the talking because everything else, you know, if it's right for you, if it's right for you, everything will fall in place. And there's going to be unfortunate times. It's going to be times where you're just in between blessings or so. Yeah. But just keep in mind that, you know, let your process do the talking. Keep your head down. Keep 10 toes down and just keep working. I love it. I love it. Craylon, thank you so much for sharing your story and really being honest and candid with us about some of your experiences. I, I feel like it's just like, we can do anything. That's how I feel right now. Like <laughs> We can. <laughs> and I really, I do, I really applaud you for the work that you've done, you know, as a scholar and, you know, as a human, it just sounds super, super dope. And so before I ask you about our last section, our last segment, tell us where the people can follow you on social media. Yeah. So y'all can find me or y'all can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at cool runnings uh and instead of a c that's a q o o l underscore uh runnings r u n n i g s but yeah that's that's me on uh twitter and instagram nice 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 thanks again and so you already know it's ready time for lessons from yes. the what you got for us Let's get it. All right. So my lessons from the trap. This one is dedication off the Victory Lab album. Uh, rest in peace, the neighborhood nip. This this got me through so much, and I'm actually working on a project now using some of these lyrics um, into you know do, doing a presentation. But I actually took apart from uh, Kendrick Lamar's you know verses, and it was I spent my whole life trying to make it, trying to chase it. The cycle of a black man divided, trying to break it. You take a loss, don't cry about it, just embrace it. Minor setback from major combat. That's my favorite. So that's my piece right there. Even saying that right now just gave me, you know, a little bit of chills. But, um, you know, just understand that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of barriers that need to be broken down, you know, as a group and as individuals within our own lives. Anytime you take a setback, you know, there's always room for a comeback. So just keep on pushing. That's right. I love it. Thank you again. Um, and that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you too.
Thanks again for listening to this episode of Blackin' in Grad School. For more content to help you on your grad school journey, check out blackingradschool.com. That's B-L-K-I-N gradschool.com. Love this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Until next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.